Don't you just love songs with good theology in them? I mean, the truths from God's word put to music, uh, there's just nothing like that. Um, so just before we uh, look into God's word, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Father, <clears throat> thank you for the truths of your word. Thank you that you did send Emmanuel. You did send your son to be God with us. Father, we thank you for this Christmas season that we can remember, we can celebrate, um, we can think about the impact that your son has had on this world and in our lives. And so as we um, begin this uh, season of Advent, remembering um, his first coming, um, help us also, Father, to look forward to his second coming. I pray, Father, you'd bless your word now. Use it in each of our lives. Uh, may your spirit be our teacher this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So that first candle that was lit this morning, um, as Dick said, um, is a candle of hope. Uh, each one of the candles has a different theme, and we'll be covering some of those uh, themes. And then um, the last Sunday, um, usually they'll have four themes in September, and then a Christmas Eve service, you cover the Christ candle, and that's when you've all been to probably candlelight services, and that's when they light all the candles. We won't be doing that, but we'll be talking about the last candle of love and then the Christ candle also on um, Christmas Eve Sunday morning. So we're looking forward to just looking at God's word and all the amazing truths that represent um, and what these candles represent uh, the blessings of Christ's coming. And so we want to look at, um, you could preach all year on um, the truths about Christmas and about all the prophecies of Christ's coming and what they mean and who he is and all that. So we're just going to be scratching the surface um, over the next uh, three weeks or four weeks, including today. Um, there's so much more. Um, but what we are going to look at is exciting. Uh, it's, there's great theology. Uh, all the word theology just means teaching. Um, and there's wonderful teaching in God's word about um, Christ's coming. So today, again, we want to look at um, this representation of hope. So I entitled the uh, message this morning, Bethlehem, the birthplace of hope. Um, you have notes in your uh, bulletin. If you didn't get that, they're back there, um, and you can just follow along with those. Um, so in the Old Testament, the Lord is described as the hope of Israel three times that I could find. Uh, in Joel chapter 3, verse 16, in the King James Version, they use the word, translate the word to hope, which it should be. Um, the Apostle Paul even uses that same idea um, when he is in chains, book of Acts, near the end, he's in chains, um, and he's talking about the reason he's in chains is um, because of his witness of Jesus, um, who is, he calls, the hope of Israel. So we see that, that theme throughout the scriptures of um, the Lord being the hope of Israel, and obviously he's our hope also. Um, so over 2,000 years ago, the creator of the universe, the eternal God, entered the human race as a baby. That's, even that statement is just so amazing, that the God of all heaven, the God who created everything, spoke things into existence. He became a baby. That is so amazing. 
The Lord of heaven came to live on earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised one. Though his birth went largely unnoticed, his birth was so monumental that it became the high point of all human history. Paul records that thought in Galatians, and I just quoted that verse for you. But when the fullness of time came, God's appointed time in history, God sent forth his son. The birth of Jesus is the most important moment in all of human history. One of the many prophecies of Jesus coming throughout the Old Testament, one of them is the prophecy about his birth and where he will be born. And so we want to kind of look at some things surrounding this whole idea that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It comes from the verse out of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, and I put that in your uh, notes right there. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the clans of Judah, yet from you will come forth for me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. We're going to be just looking at the first half of that verse. I can't remember a time that I ever preached on a half a verse and still go 20 minutes. So, um, yeah, we'll look at that second half of the verse in Isaiah 9-6 next week and kind of look at the theology of who Jesus is as described here in the Old Testament, as he was described even before he came. But we're going to kind of center in that first little part there. Why Bethlehem? Bethlehem means house of bread. Um, and Epaphra uh, means fruitful. The reason that was added, because there was actually another Bethlehem that was in the northern part uh, of Israel. And so they added that to dis differentiate between the two cities. Um, so this Bethlehem is the one that Jesus would be born in, and it was about five miles or so, uh, kind of um, southwest uh, of Jerusalem, still there. Um, you can't get into it any longer. In 1991, when I went to uh, the Holy Land, you could still go to, to Bethlehem, and so I was able to go there, and they, uh, during the Crusades, they built churches over every holy site, so there was a church there. Um, but, um, so that's the difference there. There's a Bethlehem in the north part of, Jeru or of Israel also. Um, so we want to look at first, the first reason is the prophetic reason. In other words, there was prophecies about Bethlehem in the Old Testament. So the promise to David is the first part of that. Uh, and if you were to read 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 29, that's when God is promising David that his seed, from his seed, he was going to bring forth a ruler over Israel. He differentiated, as you read that, between Solomon, who was his next child, and that he was going to be able to build a temple. Um, and as you read that passage, you'll see there's things that are said that's obvious that he's not, those things are not talking about Solomon, but there's someone that's coming after him. In fact, verse 29 mentions that um, it would be in the distant future. He actually uses those words that um, God promised David's house would endure before God forever and his throne would be established forever. 
in the distant future, God would raise up one of David's descendants, Jesus, obviously, and God will establish his kingdom. He would be born where David's house began, where David was born in Bethlehem. We see um, when the angels come, we see that he said, in the city of David. That's talking not about Jerusalem, it's talking about um, Bethlehem. So the first reason that he was that Jesus was born there was because of the promise to David. The second reason is obviously because of the prophecy of Micah. Even the religious leaders of Israel understood that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. If you were to read all of Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 6, you remember the story when the Magi came from the east and they came to Jerusalem first um, and they asked, where is the king of the Jews born? Where was he born? Um, and Herod didn't know, and so he calls on um, the, the leaders of Israel, the chief priests and the scribes. He calls on them, and they say, because they know that he was born in Bethlehem, and then they actually quote, if you read verse 6 of chapter, um, uh, chapter 2 of uh, Matthew, you would see that they actually quote Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Um, so even the religious leaders, even though they weren't looking for Jesus, um, they didn't go check it out. They didn't even know, in fact. Um, they, but they knew that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. And then the third part, under the prophetic reason, is the proclamation of the angels. You're very familiar with these passages. These passages are read um, every Christmas at different times. You may read them uh, as part of your Christmas celebration. But the passage out of Luke, especially, you hear that read. Any Christmas programs, um, uh, you, or songs, everything. You, you see Luke chapter 2 um, mentioned a lot. So what the angel said to the shepherds, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Then the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem, and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. So the prophetic reason, the first reason that we see that Jesus was born in Bethlehem was because of the promise to David, the prophecy of Micah, and also the proclamation of the angels. And then there's a, a practical reason why he was born there, for God's glory. God's glory is revealed in Jesus' humble birth. So the insignificance of Bethlehem, notice that he called it, Micah called it, that it was little. And it has the idea of being lowly or weak or least. It wasn't a huge city. It was probably three or four hundred people, maybe. Um, it wasn't even an important city um, um, for, for Israel, other than the Messiah was supposed to be born. You'd think that would make it really important. But when it, was, it wasn't even listed when they were going into the promised land, um, that city was not listed among all the cities. Um, when, they, when they repopulated after the Babylonian captivity, that city, Bethlehem, was not even mentioned. So that's why in the scriptures it's called lowly. Um, it's least. It wasn't a very important city, though it should have been. And so we see that Bethlehem's little. There was no fanfare in this city when Jesus was born. There was no celebration by the people. 
Uh, the Jerusalem News was not covering the event. There was no live streaming going on with the birth of Jesus. Only the angels were rejoicing and singing glory to God in the highest, Luke chapter 2, verses 14. So it was lowly. There wasn't a lot of fanfare. Jesus was born in a quiet little village, not even able to get into, as we all know, not even to stay in the local motel, as it were. So the significance of Bethlehem, but also the Jesus' identity with humility. <clears throat> Again, these are all things that we know. Um, he was born in an animal shelter, Luke chapter 2, verse 7. He was laid in a feeding trough, Luke chapter 2, verse 12. <clears throat> he was wrapped in swaddling or torn cloths. That's what swaddling clothes is. It's torn cloth. That's what all little babies, especially those from families that were poor, they were wrapped in swaddling clothes. And he was only visited by the shepherds while he was in Bethlehem in the stable. It wasn't for two years later that the Magi came. And if you read the scripture, you see that he was actually in a house at that time. So the Magi, so even our nativity scenes that depict the Magi that came to visit Jesus. They didn't really come to visit him when he was at the stable and, and, um, and the nativity. No, they came and visited. The scripture said he was in a house. So it was almost two years later. The reason we know it was two years is because Herod, remember, <clears throat> when he found out, he told the Magi, when, come back and tell me you know, when you find him so that I can worship him also. And uh, they were warned in a dream, and they left and went a different way. And so when Herod got angry about that, what did he do? He sent them back to kill every child under what age? you remember? Under two years old, right? So we know that it was about two years from um, the time that, he, that Jesus was born until the Magi got there. So the practical reason is for God's glory. Only the angels were singing glory to God. And then it's interesting as you read in Luke chapter 2 verse 20, after the shepherds had visited the scene and leave, they too were glorifying and praising God for they had for what they had seen and what they had heard. So we see that the birthplace of Jesus in Bethlehem was for prophetic reasons. It was in the scriptures and then it was for practical reasons for God's glory. And then the third one is the providential reason. Now, this is really amazing. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but this is a display of God's power. Um, the providence of God is how God works in history. There's the sovereignty of God that he's all-powerful. The providence of God is how God lines things up so that when he says something's going to happen, that's exactly when it will happen. When the fullness of time came, Jesus was born exactly when he wanted, exactly where he wanted, and all the people he wanted to be there, and all the things to line up. God was working in those areas even before those days right around the birth of Jesus. So the first thing is, how was he going to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem? How was he going to get them to travel there so that the Savior could be born in Bethlehem? So I just put the scriptures down. Um, you're familiar with them, but just as I read them, just 
uh, look at what it says. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth, that's the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken while Quirinus was governor in Syria. So now stop and think about this for a second. There had been lots of other senses that had gone out, but they had never gone out into Israel. All over the rest of the Roman Empire, they had gone out, but they'd never gone out in Israel because the men of Israel didn't have to serve in the Roman army. So they never were part of the census. But this first census, so God puts in the heart of first Caesar Augustus to say, hey, I want this year's census to go out to everybody in the Roman Empire, including Israel. And then he relays that to Quintus. This is the first census that he's done. And so he sends out this census. Let's finish reading. And everybody was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, because that's where they were living, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who, he was, who was engaged to him and was with child. So God got Joseph and Mary to go to Bethlehem using a pagan king, to use a pagan Caesar, to put forth um, an edict, a census, that was different than any census that they'd done before. That's how God works in providence in history. So he got Joseph and Mary, who was with child, to travel all the way down to Bethlehem, and that's where she gave birth to the Savior. The second thing is he, to get the shepherds to go to Bethlehem, God used angels. God sent angels. Now, the shepherds had no idea what was going on. They were just minding their own sheep and their own business. And all of a sudden, one, an angel shows up. The first one is just a single angel. And he tells them the very familiar story that we've all read and all remember. So let's just read it again. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. I love that. They'll be for all the people. Shepherds were the lowest dregs of society. It was even for them. This Savior that is born is for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, the rest of the angels show up. There appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then 
and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. In order to get the shepherds to go to Bethlehem, he had to make an announcement to them, and he used these angelic beings. Again, God working in history. God knew exactly where those shepherds would be. They had no idea what was going on in Bethlehem until the angel showed up and then the rest of the angels and they talked about the good news. We're actually going to be looking a little bit closer at this in uh, the third week, the candle um, that represents joy. Next week is peace, third week is joy, the last one will be love, and then the Christ candle. So in God's providence, he got Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem using a Gentile pagan ruler in God's providence, he got the shepherds to go to Bethlehem using his angels, his messengers. And then to get the Magi to Bethlehem, God used a supernatural light. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. In Numbers, there's a prophecy that talks about this star that was going to shine. Now think back, how, how would they, these magi that probably came from modern-day Iran, Babylon, so picture in your mind on the map of the Mideast, the far eastern part of the map. It took them two years to travel. How did they even know about that? How did they even know to look for a star? Who was there that became over all the magi, all the stargazers, all the um, wise men that were there in Babylon? Remember Daniel. Daniel became the one who was over all of the wise men Nebuchadnezzar put him over all of them. Daniel had favor, and I'm sure he passed down the stories and the truths of the Old Testament. And so, and this was passed down, this was 500 years before Jesus was even born. And so this prophecy about this star was passed down. They were stargazers, and so Daniel said, you've got to look for this star. And so this verse out of Numbers, let me just read it to you. It's, uh, it's not in your notes. The declaration of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down, yet having his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I look at him, but not near. A star shall appear from Jacob. A scepter shall arise from Israel. That's numbers if you want to write it down. It's numbers 24 verses 16 and 17. It's amazing that God prepared Gentile stargazers over 500 years before the Messiah's birth. Kept the prophecy was passed down from one generation to the next. And then God put a supernatural light in the sky. They called it a star, but this star moved. It moved, and they followed the star, right? So this was supernatural. This wasn't, this wasn't a star that some people say was this convergence of stars. Um, how, does that, how does a star move? Not only, it first led them to Jerusalem, 
And then as you read the text, because that's what we always base things on, is the text of Scripture, the star then moved in front of them again to get them to Bethlehem. They didn't know where Bethlehem was. And even though it was only five or six miles away, read the text, the star moved, and they found where Jesus was born. And they went to the house that he was in. The star which they had seen in the east went before them, until it came and stood over the place where the child was. So God, in his providence, to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, he used a Gentile ruler. He made that Gentile ruler put in that Gentile ruler, that Caesar's mind, I want to do the census different this year. And then he used angels to communicate to the shepherds. And then he got this prophecy into the hands of the Magi 500 years before that was passed down. He did it through Daniel. That was passed down, and then they were looking. They saw the star. They knew which one they were looking for. They followed it. They went right to Jesus. That's God's providence. That's God's providential workings to get them to go to Bethlehem. Now, what about for us today? Um, I just put a little verse in the at the bottom there. Um, this is out of the New Testament, Romans chapter 15, verses uh, 12 and 13. Um, again, this whole idea of hope. And notice what the first part says. This is Paul. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, which is Jesus. Jesse was David's father, right? So Jesse and then David, and then you go right down the line, and then you get to Joseph, because he was of the line of David, and then Jesus, right? So there shall come from the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. So not only is Jesus the hope of the Israel, but Jesus is the hope of the Gentiles also. And so Paul then, off of that, says this next verse. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. It's amazing, the next two candles are joy and peace. Actually, the other way, peace and then joy. And then he says, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The hope that was for Israel was seen in their Messiah. That was Jesus. They missed him, but they will get him this next time. At least there's going to be a remnant of Jews in the nation. They're going to get him. There's individual Jews that see who Jesus really was now, praise the Lord. Um, but not only was Jesus the Lord, the hope of Israel, but Jesus the Lord is the hope of us Gentiles also. So now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. The way that we get that joy and peace is by believing who Jesus really is. He's the hope of the Jews. He's the hope of the Gentiles. He's the hope of the world. And by believing, that's how you get it. With You get all joy and peace in believing. Believing who he is believing what he's done. He was born, he lived a perfect life, and he died in our place. We're going to be celebrating that with communion in just a moment. 
so that you will abound in hope. You want to abound in hope, believe in Jesus, understand who he is, get to know Jesus better. You will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, there's so much more. Your word is, uh, it can't be exhausted. There's so much. There's so many little details. There's so many things that you've done and accomplished. There's so many ways you display that you are the mighty God, um, that you're the God of great joy and great hope and great love. Um, you're the God of both the Jews and the Gentiles. And we, Father, as Gentiles who've accepted Christ, um, we want to celebrate now as we take communion together and remember what Jesus has done for us. And so, Father, bless this time, we pray. Use it in our lives. Help us to think back to those days when we first became a Christian and how excited we were and what it meant to really start to understand who Jesus is. So we pray, Father, bless this time of communion now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.